Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Go To Dentist podcast. I'm P.O. Modi, and I'm here, of course, with uh, our partners, John Cranham and David Rice. And today we're going to be talking about, last week we talked about the surgical uh, approach and building a surgical practice as a general dentist. Today we're going to look at building an interdisciplinary team, which I'm super pumped because both these guys have amazing teams. Uh, first, we're going to introduce these guys. David, how are you doing? And where are you at? I'm how you been? Great. I'm, I'm, you know what? I'm in sunny St. Pete, so life is good. Yeah, what have you been doing uh, in terms of uh, uh, getting outside, outside of the social distancing? You've been uh, going out, walks, things like that? I have been socially distancing with my better half, Anastasia, and our husky Gibbs, and we've been getting a good five, six miles a day. And so wow. Gibbs thinks social distancing in this COVID-19 is the greatest plan on earth. So, Dude, five, six miles. That's great. Oh yeah. Yeah. And John, welcome. How, how you been? I know uh, to let everybody know where you're at and how your family's doing. I'm good. So I'm just past the five-week mark here at Smith Mountain Lake, Virginia. And uh, I've got my associate back at the office, you know, handling emergencies. And I talk to her a couple times a week. She's doing great. She's just there with one team member. And yeah, we've been great. I've, I've got my wife here and my three adult kids and my grand cat and my grand dog and our three dogs. So it's a little bit crazy, but I agree with David completely. Our animals think this is the best thing that's ever happened to them because they're going on more walks and they, I, they're going to be seriously depressed when, when this goes away, but we're, we're doing fine. Honestly, my art, for children too, I, I I believe they're loving it too. My youngest is two and a half, and he is going to freak out when he has to go back to daycare because he's loving all the attention from mom and dad. So it's actually been good that way. But obviously, we have to get back to work. Got to get back. Okay, uh, back to work. <laughs> all right, guys. So what I want to do is I'm going to direct questions, and you guys can both uh, field these questions. Uh, and the f first question is, is about your interdisciplinary teams. Just describe them briefly and, and when did you started these teams and uh, you know, how your relation is with these guys. And also, do you bring these guys into your office too? David, why don't you go first? Sure. So, you know, our team's really evolved over years. I mean, as a, as a young dentist, I, I bought a practice, so I kind of came into a team a little bit. And thankfully... Uh, Mike Aglia, who I purchased a practice from, was just a, an incredible clinician. So he, he had a great team. Um, but we've morphed. And about 11 years ago, you know, we built a new facility. So we have a standalone building in a medical park. And we were really, really blessed to bring our team with us. So our favorite oral surgery group has their own building in our plaza, our favorite orthodontist, our favorite endodontist, our favorite periodontist pediatrics, you name it, everybody's there. And um, our prosthodontist, actually, we brought right into our practice and is on our formal team. But um, everyone else is within about a, I don't know, 30 footstep walk, which um, sounds right. great. But for those of you who know me, my practice in Buffalo, New York. So, um, you know, it's, a, it's usually a shovel or a, an umbrella. <laughs> <laughs> not quite as exciting as it, it may sound to some of you, but we're close. And we, we spend um, every other week, we spend time with each other in one of our practices live, which is really, really, um, I think, unique and cool for our situation. That's really again, David, amazing. You, you said, 
sorry, you said you, you guys meet every other week, you and the team like, okay, that's great. We do. Yeah. We, so we sit down because we're all in such easy proximity to each other. We, you know, we all belong to study clubs, but we've kind of turned our, our relationship into its own study club. And, you know, we, we discuss cases that are common to all of us and really just kind of share opinions and best practices. And, you know, it's interesting. We, it's come to a place where we, we almost help um, other GPs with their cases sort of anonymously, you know, and without patient mention, but it's, it's, it's pretty cool because we can gain insights to not only help our own practices, but some other folks who are a little bit outside of our circle, which is, is uh, I think helpful. Yeah, absolutely. And John, your team, I've known about your team for many yeah, years. So let's, let's, yeah, so let's talk about it because it was, it just didn't happen. And I was in a little different situation with, than, um, than David. And I actually, I didn't know you bought Mike's practice. I love that guy. I mean, he's an amazing guy yeah. um, with Ibeclar. And anyway, so I, when I bought my practice uh, in Portsmouth, I mean, uh, the dentist that I uh, bought from had only done four units of crown and bridge the year before I bought it. So it was far from a contemporary practice. I mean, he was doing amalgam buildups and taking teeth out and making partials. And this was 1988. And so when I started to do the Dawson stuff, um, Pete was talking about getting these like-minded specialists. And what I would say the first thing I had to do was I really didn't know how to find a like-minded specialist because I didn't even really have a philosophy myself yet. And so that's the first thing. You've got you've to develop a philosophy of how you're going to treat patients. And so for me, you know, the five requirements of occlusal stability and, you know, the things that I learned from Pete became my foundation. And then the second thing is I had to find, you know, specialists that that wanted to do that, you know, that wanted to have share my vision of aesthetics and, and function and and so the, there was a periodontist in town named Albert Konikoff that I was so intimidated of. And honestly, it probably took me eight years to send him a patient because I just didn't think I was good enough. Um, and he was having, he was very centered in education. That's a pretty good thing to look at. He took a lot of pictures. He hosted study clubs. He was a good speaker. Um, he was working with, you know, some of the best dentists, well, like probably all the best dentists in town. And so when I finally uh, approached him, you know, it was the direct opposite of what I thought. All he wanted to do was help me. And, and so once I had him, then I started saying, you know, I want, a, I want an orthodontist, I want a surgeon. And then he was the one that sort of told me about Carl Roy. And what I instantly found about with Carl, the orthodontist, it's, he was a general dentist for three years who did Dawson and then went to ortho. So he was completely aligned. And then the orthodontist usually will know the best surgeon from the standpoint of orthodontics, and then he got Mike Majuri involved. So we kind of had dinner one night, and what I realized quickly, and this is a, a great point, kind of what David was saying, that what you have to do if you are going to put this together is you just have to schedule things. You just have to make a schedule, and you have to commit to the schedule. And what we did is we agreed to meet 12 times a year, once a month, and we would take turns hosting it. So, so each person would host four times a year, I'm sorry, three times a year. And, and the other thing we did is we, cause we all had families, we committed to making it no more than two hours. So we would meet from 5.30 to 7.30. Whoever hosted it would have to bring dinner 
and and that's also I want you to think about it from the standpoint of a general dentist it's important to do that because it puts you on a level playing field with the specialists the specialists are used to buying things for general dentists and you don't want that you want to be on equal playing field and so and so what we did is we would meet for for two hours um, the first half hour we'd sort of eat and reconnect and just kind of socialize maybe 20 minutes. And then um, the next half hour, the whoever's hosting it had to present something from their discipline. So it could be something new in the research. It could be an article that we all look at and review. It might be a procedure that they're doing that we might not know about. And I want to tell you, I, when I started doing this, I was intimidated because I didn't think the specialists wanted to knew about know about restorative dentistry. They freaking love it. I mean, they love learning about that stuff because they don't know it. And what I quickly realized is that we'd put up a case when we first started meeting, we'd put up a case and <laughs> the periodontist would see tissues that needed surgery. The surgeon saw jaws that needed to be broken. The orthodontist saw teeth that needed to be moved. And I saw teeth that needed to be crowned. I mean, because we're looking at it through our, our little, our lens. And what started to happen by us presenting things on our discipline is we started to learn to think like each other. So, you know, as a general dentist, you have to you have to know what the periodontist is thinking and you have to know what the orthodontist is thinking. You have to know what the surgeon's thinking. And so that was so cool about it. And then the last hour we would review cases. And so sometimes it was cases that we were all involved with, but in the beginning we weren't, we didn't have a lot of cases going together. So we would show them cases that maybe we were doing independently or with other dentists and get our feedback on them. And then as the, as this grew, it, you know, we were in the last hour, we were reviewing the cases we were doing with each other. Um, but that, you know, we did this for, th these guys are all about 10 years older than me. So, you know, I'm kind of in my second phase now because um, my surgeon has basically retired. <clears throat> He's in my office now though, doing surgery a couple days a week, just or a couple days a month, just the implant stuff. He doesn't do the orthodontics anymore. Um, and so what I'm doing now is creating my new interdisciplinary team. Uh, and I'm sort of waiting for Caitlin, my daughter, to finish dental school so she can be a part of it. But again, we found a younger orthodontist that also is a Dawson trained general dentist before he went to ortho. We trained him. Um, and then he's found a surgeon that's actually the partner of the younger partner of Mike, who who has retired and is in my office. And then we have a periodontist actually that comes in the office a couple days a month. And so he's gonna be part of it. But we're gonna follow the exact same structure once Caitlin gets out. And so you gotta, you gotta commit to the time. I mean, you just have to schedule it because otherwise what's gonna happen is you end up being just sending cases back and forth. And I call that multidisciplinary. You're not really thinking with one brain, but meeting is the key and it's interesting that David basically doing the exact same thing, just in his in his own place. Man, your guys' teams are incredible. And and one thing I've noticed a commonality with you know really excellent dentists is having this amazing team. Now, I feel you're. I mean, you guys committed to it, and so your situations are exceptional. Now, for dentists who are struggling, for example, I feel one of the big problems. And John, I believe you'll agree with me is 
for our philosophy, uh, you know, five requirements for occlusal stability, one of the toughest specialists to get on board with that and who needs to know it the most is your orthodontist. Now, you know, you're in a unique situation with Carl because he went through the training uh, and, you know, my closest friend is an orthodontist and, you know, we've been working together for 10 years. You know, I, I lay out all the requirements that go over cases with them, but it's still a struggle. And I find with orthodontists, especially with the volume of patients they see, 80 to 120 possibly in a day, you know, sometimes they don't want to follow these requirements. So any, any, both of you guys, any, any comments or how to overcome these obstacles with specialists who may not, you know, be on board with our philosophy of care? Have at it, David. I'll... So, you know, I'll, I'll just kind of share. I've always been a believer that people will live up to the expectations that we set. And, and that's not true for everybody. So, you know, if I guess the first caveat to that rule is if you're working with somebody, it's okay for you to like them personally. But if they're not willing to live up to your expectations, yeah. go have a beer on Friday night with them and don't do dentistry with them. But that said, I, you know, I think when we, when we set the bar really high and then we, by example, live up to that bar, we attract people who, um, like John mentioned, are like-minded and they want to be a part of that. And that's not always a, a sprint, right? That may take a year or two years before you find the perfect fit for your interdisciplinary team. So, you know, don't get frustrated if you don't find that person right away. But I think they're out there in every community and, you know, we sort of filter each other out and we end up traveling in similar circles. But I would just say, set your bar where you believe it should be, never compromise. And if you're not in the right relationship today, it's okay to stay with it and continue to look for the right relationship tomorrow. I 100% agree. And, uh, you know, it's very interesting, P.O. I was in a very similar situation with you that one of my best friends coming out of dental school is an orthodontist. And, you know, I went through the DOS and stuff and got all fired up. And, you know, one of the frustrating things about working with an orthodontist is you don't really know whether they are doing what you want them to do for about two years until you start seeing things finish. Um, and so, you know, we had had a great meeting about the five requirements of occlusal stability and yeah, 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 we're going to be involved. And then it, all of a sudden it became really clear that, you know, it wasn't going to happen, uh, you know, that he wasn't really interested in it. And so that created a lot of stress in, in my life. And, and to David's point, what I um, decided to do, and maybe my realization was, that we all get to decide how we want to practice, right? I mean, just because he wants, he has different goals than I do doesn't make him like a horrible person. It's mm -hmm. just clinically different. And so, you know, we had to decide at that point that, you know, we're going to continue to be golf buddies and not necessarily do dentistry together, as David said. So, so what, what I did um, all those years ago was looking for an orthodontist. I wrote a position paper that was about a page long that was just basically describing the five requirements of occlusal stability and the way that I wanted to practice. And I sent it to every orthodontist in town. And that the vast majority of them didn't respond. Uh, one of them responded was Carl. And 
And so I was sort of interfacing with Albert when all that went down. And so I was hearing Carl's name from Albert and he responded to my letter. And then the other one was a guy named uh, Bill Hatcher. And Bill actually has done a pretty good job for me too. It's just that I moved my office a ways away from him. Um, but, but anyway, I ended up getting uh, about five responses and two of them were serious. Okay. And mm -hmm. as times evolved, then uh, Dr. Glass has come out and I knew he was going to be great because he went to ortho after us training him. So I knew he was going to be, he went to ortho to be able to do Dawson stuff and orthodontics. So he's following a Mariana Evans now and just doing an amazing job. Um, but the point is they're out there. They, they're out there. I mean, the people are out there. And if, if a dentist is struggling finding an orthodontist, what I would suggest uh, if some of the people that have been around for a while aren't necessarily playing the game the way you'd want, look for some of the younger orthodontists that are, are trying to um, evolve and, and take them to a class, you know, take them to Dawson, take them to Airway, the Airway Symposium, get them exposed to some of the stuff. Because I think right now there may be an amazing opportunity to get a young orthodontist involved. And that's because bread and butter orthodontics is going to be done in general practices. I mean, yeah. it's going to be done by Invisalign. And so if you're a specialist and you're not properly handling more complex skeletal type situations and airway problems, I think that I think that could potentially be a problem. So that's what I, that's what I would suggest. I don't think it's going to be as difficult because I don't think the gravy train for orthodontists is going to be what it was. I think they're going to have to work a little harder. It's an amazing, it's an amazing point. And, and, you know, perfect thing for orthodontists to go see is uh, seminar one that you teach. I mean, that would be a great intro. I mean, not intro, just going over our whole philosophy. And now with dentists who are in rural areas, I mean, I mean, you guys, I mean, you know, David, you're in a unique situation with all your specialists so close. That's incredible. Now, I mean, dentists who are in rural areas, what's the farthest? I mean, because I'll give you an example. Uh, the pediatric office, see a lot of our child cases, um, the pediatric dentist in town is, is not great. So we send our patients and it's about 40, 50 minutes away from our office to, you know, to, to a quality pediatric dentist. Now, I mean, I don't know, John, if your situation, oh, David, your, your specialists are so close to you, but John, what was the farthest you had to send somebody out or distance wise, you know, to get the quality of care that you yeah, want for your so, patients? Well, when I was first moved, when I, it was a big deal, and it's a great point. So before I moved my office to where it is now next to Bayview, and it's amazing how that happened because I was looking for property out there to get close to Albert and Carl and Mike. Because at the time I was maybe 20 miles, which in traffic would, could take an hour. Oh. And so it was a hard, it was a hard referral. But, but I found, you know, when I would sit down and talk with them, most of the time that they would do it, not 100%, but most of the time, um, particularly if it was a, a more complex situation. But of course, once I got closer to them, and we were talking about doing exactly what David did. We were all talking about buying a piece of land and all having an office there. And it just got to be the, the property with where we were looking. It was going to be a couple million bucks for the freaking lot. And it, it just didn't make sense. And so what fell into my lap was when Babe, Buddy at Bayview said, well, why don't you just add on? And so 
that was a no-brainer. And then Albert was down the street. He's not there all the time, but a couple days a week he's down the street and Carl's a couple blocks away. Mike was the furthest, but his closest office was maybe a couple miles. But I do want to say, I think of Zach Sizzler. You know, Zach is out in the Shippensburg, Pennsylvania, out in the middle of nowhere, you know, and, and you know, he's a great one to talk. We're going to have him on this podcast, but he's had to build a relationship with specialists, and it's not uncommon for people to have to travel an hour. Um, so if you're in a rural area, I think you just have to, you just have to tell them, I mean, what you think. And, and I also think that most moms, particularly when it's ortho, they want the best for their kid. So they want you to be honest about that. And I also think in most rural areas, most people are used to having to travel a little bit, right? I mean, David, you probably have people that are coming from out in the country, right? To see you guys and that are a ways out and they're used to having to go uh, a little ways for healthcare. Yeah. I think, you know, the, the, the whole premise, I think of, you know, becoming this go-to dentist is distance becomes um, lower on the priority for a patient than it is in any other dental practice. So I agree, you know, we, you know, I'm just like you guys and, and everybody who's listening here, I'm sure you have patients who hop on a plane to come and see you. Maybe they lived in your area before and they moved and, and they still say, you know what, darn it, when I need my dental stuff done, I'm, I'm coming to hang out with Pio and that's just the way it's going to be. So to your point, John, rurally, um, it's, an, it's, an, it's a natural and even in, in an urban and a suburban area as we, I think, establish ourselves by setting that bar so high and, and our confidence as referrers to our specialists is everything. So, you know, I've, I've had patients, I'm sure we're not unique, but I've had a patient say, well, can I go see so-and-so instead of this surgeon? And I just smile and very confidently say, let me just share where everyone in my family goes, including myself. And then it goes away really, yeah. really yeah. quickly. Yeah. You know, for most people, there's always an exception. And then, you know, P on the other side of it, I think as far as our interaction, if, if this craziness that we're living through right now has taught us anything is everything that we have done live in the past, we can totally do virtually like we're all doing now. So you don't have to meet with your specialists in the same building, you know, on a Thursday evening, you can have a virtual zoom event anytime you want and accomplish the exact same goals. No, it's a great point. I was going to ask you guys about the technology best changed how you guys meet with your teams. But I mean, Dave, you, you guys are so close. You guys can meet, you know, live, but John, is that, have you done Zoom yeah, meetings? So, yes. Yeah, so, so as I build the new one, that's going to be a conversation that we're going to talk about. Um, and I do think, I do, I do think there's something to, uh, and maybe what we'll do is, because again, trying to get around Hampton Roads when we're trying to get around at 530 is a royal pain. Um, but I still think there is something to breaking bread with each other and, and, you know, and so I, I think there's going to be a balance there. And, and I, I will say that that's the other part of this that I think is important is, you know, along with learning to think like each other and doing that, schedule some events that are just fun, too. I mean, whether you play golf or, you know, you have them to the house for, you know, place, go somewhere for the weekend. Uh, CE, traveling for CE is fun to go to do together. But make it fun. These people will potentially become some of your best friends in dentistry. And, uh, 
And it's, there really isn't anything like it. I mean, I, I, I show that case, Alexis Taves, that we did that was, you know, a TMJ patient. She fell off a horse. She was in braces like seven years and I had to get her straight in a splint. And, you know, it took a year to get her straight in a splint. Then Carl moved the, did the teeth and actually took out premolars and got the canines back where they're supposed to be. And then she had orthopedic surgery and then Albert put in some implants. And I look at that case, all I did was a very simple equilibration and put two crowns on implants and bleached her. That's the only thing I did for her. Oh, I did the splint therapy too. But I made the diagnosis. And what I'm so proud about that case is I had the team in place that could help her. Yeah. You know? And so she's 31, 32 years old now. I mean, we did that when she was a teenager. She's moved to DC and Drew Cobb, one of our faculty takes care of her up there and she's doing well. But that, that cases like that doing it together i don't know why but there's just different a different reward level when you have everybody on the team doing what they do the best that they can do it and 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 again that's where we have to balance it as general dentists is that's why i talk about the general dental sweet spot like what are you trained to be able to do as you do implants and as you do invisalign recognize the cases that you're gonna be able to do as well as a specialist. And there's a lot of them, right? There's a lot of simple ortho cases that you can certainly keep in house, but you have to be able to recognize the ones that go beyond that. And when you need to go beyond that, you have to have these people in place that will help you and think like you. And, uh, and, and, and when that all happens, it's really cool. I, you guys were saying about the referrals, you know, patients will go where you recommend. And I agree 100%. But I want you guys to comment too on the changing models because you guys are, are both part of this is, you know, having more dentistry being done in-house. Because I know with John, uh, you have Mike coming in, your oral surgeon to do surgical cases. You do an amazing job with Invisalign. David, I didn't even know about your situation, the proximity, which is incredible. And it seems, at least in Canada, and I know, I'm pretty sure it's the case in the U.S. too, is that so many dental offices are bringing specialists into the office, periodontists, orthodontists. You know, it's, it's a big marketing thing. And I just want you guys, if you guys can comment on that about trying to keep everything in-house and if you feel this is the way it's changing moving forward. Sure. So, you know, the fastest growing practice in America today is on the industry side um, known as the middle market. So the small group that does keep everything in house is the win. Um, the, the solo practitioner model is, is you know, it's never going to totally go away, but it's, it's definitely shrinking. So uh, the model of having us all under one roof, whether it's full-time or part-time is going to be the most successful model dentistry sees in the near future. Um, all the people who disagree in life on the business side of dentistry seem to universally agree that, that there's a win there. And, you know, to your point, P.O., a lot of general, you know, GPs are bringing specialists in. What we're also seeing is specialists bringing GPs in and saying, hey, this is not just a game for you to quarterback. We're all in this thing together. And if we're all on the same team, then it really is a uniting of all these dental people, no matter who, you know, is the you know, organizer or the orchestrator of it all. But we see that um, a lot more today than I would say even two years ago. I agree. And I mean, you think about, I mean, I think about when we started, um, you know, 
communicating. There was no cone beam. There were no scanners. There were no, you know, I mean, the cost of us having our own little individual practices was kind of minuscule. And then all of a sudden, you know, one day we were having our interdisciplinary meeting. This goes back about 11 years, but we all bought cone beams in the same year. So, you know, and again, cone beams were close to 200K back then. So the four of us dropped almost a million dollars just on the ability to take CTs, all four of us. And then we were start thinking about, well, maybe that lot we were looking at wasn't so cheap, wasn't so expensive, you know, <laughs> could have bought the lot and bought one cone beam and been fine, you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> but so, so just from a technology standpoint, I do think that it makes sense. And the other thing that I think is happening is dental um, treatment planning is not getting any less complicated. People are wanting to keep their teeth. People that don't have teeth want to have them replaced with implants. So the level of the volume of people that want more complex care is going up. And I do think that, to David's point, the interdisciplinary team can meet under one roof and practice under one roof, or they can be in different areas. And so they can both work. But I think the, gen, the, the, the trend is going to be for more things to happen in-house. Now, this is my one caution, is that if you have things going on in-house, I think it's hard, and, and let's think about the general dental stuff that we've been trained to do, is you have, I, I tell every dentist, you know, be a great general dentist, and then delve into one or two niches, you know, get good at one or two other things that may be, uh, that go in, that delve into the specialty realm. POU have really delved into the surgical realm, but you haven't really gone into the Invisalign realm much yet, you know, so it's hard to, it's hard to be good at all these different things. So I think what's going to be also more common is that you're going to have general dentists, two or three general dentists under one roof that may develop expertise in an individual niche where they'll, yeah. one will be doing the implants and one will be doing the ortho and one will be doing the endo under a microscope. We want to make sure that if we're doing the specialty care, we need to do it at the highest level. And, and then if stuff goes beyond even way out on the, on the bell curve, you know, when somebody needs orthognathic surgery or something like that, then we may have to work with a surgeon that isn't in-house. Because we might, let's face it, we're not, the, the orthognathic surgery doesn't happen all that often, right? Um, but I just think that the vast majority of things that happen in terms of tooth replacement and prosthetics and... Uh, you know, moving teeth, I think more and more, it's going to be people wanting to come one place, meet the same people, see the same friendly face at the front desk. Um, you know, they like those relationships. I can tell you one of the hardest things that we've had to do with our interdisciplinary team is make it feel like when four of us are working on them, that it feels like one experience. So I don't want the patient to have to go to four places and fill out four health histories. We want to share that. When we, when we will present a fee, I want to present a fee of what all four of us are going to do so that they know, you know, so they're not having to make four sets of financial arrangements. And, and that, that is a higher level. I mean, that's hard to do. And that's maybe a little bit later in the discussion, but how much easier is that when it's under one roof? It's so much yeah. easier. 
it's interesting. I mean, you brought up the financial, uh, such a great point. I, cause when I, with my interdisciplinary team, I mean, I sent a detailed letter going over all of our principles, photos, everything. But when I present financially, you know, it's, it's my fees. And I say to, you know, to check with their offices, I don't want to quote their fees. I never thought about it that way. That's a great idea because people want to know <laughs> the whole the, the whole cost. It's like it's like building a house and only you know. Oh yeah, what, plumber, a quote. And if you and if you quote your fee, the next question is going to be, well, I'll make my decision when I know their fee. You know, so exactly. So, so it, it, you can't even really entertain any obstacles. Um, you know, and sometimes on big cases, we've even done it where we've had the patient come in at one of our meetings, and all four of us present the treatment plan. And, and uh, you know, and that's when orthodontics and stuff are involved and there's a parent, that's a, that's a whole nother level. And thankfully that doesn't happen very often, but if you've got somebody that's a high analytic person and you know, there's going to be a million questions, you may as well just block the time and get it out. Otherwise, if the patient's like a super ball bouncing from office to office and inadvertently you might be saying something that isn't quite what the orthodontist is saying and then it creates confusion and so David do you do that with your uh financials when you're going to a financial consult do you have a full all-encompassing quote from all the specialists on that treatment you know we don't I love that concept we do have a pretty good grasp of what everybody does charge so we I would say we have a ballpark for people but no, we lean more in the direction of what you do, Pio, and kind of let everybody manage their own stuff. But I love that concept of one financial package. And, um, and I love exactly what you just said there too, John. That's really cool um, to bring a patient in who needs a big time case with everyone at one time. I'm, I'm, we're absolutely going to do that now. <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> yeah, that's my it's, take home already. It's, I'm well, done. It's, it's pretty impressive. I mean, it's pretty... Yeah. It's pretty impressive. I mean, who else, where else does that happen? Um, and I'll tell you where I got it from is I go through this. Uh, when I turned 50, I went into this place called the Dedicated Care Center in Norfolk, Virginia. And they do, um, uh, on Mondays and Tuesdays, they do six exams a day. And basically, you get there at 8 o'clock in the morning or 7 o'clock in the morning, they, you do your labs, and then you get your colonoscopy, and you get on a treadmill, and, you know, you're there all day getting getting worked on from stem to stern. And then basically they have you have a big lunch in this nice room and because you haven't been able to eat. And then after that, about two o'clock, they bring you into a room and every physician, every system that's been analyzed today, there's seven physicians there and they all report on what it's freaking you know, That's it's amazing. unbelievable. Yeah, it's unbelievable. So it was kind of, to me, it was like a Dawson experience in medicine. And so that's my concierge guy that, and every five years I do that. So, um, I started to think about that, you know, if, if thankfully nothing needed to be done, but I asked them what happens if there's like multiple things wrong. And they say, well, we'll have a detailed treatment plan of how we're going to work together to get you well. And I'm like, well, that's kind of what we need to do. So. Yeah, that doesn't happen in it. that doesn't happen in Canada. Just FYI, that <laughs> medical <laughs> philosophy. I wish. Sorry, David, to interrupt. I, I hate to say that, but that's no. why my father isn't alive. But anyway, oh, jeez, yeah. that's hard. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
Sorry, David, you were going to say something. Oh, no, I was just going to make a joke. I, you know, you know, on my 50th birthday, that was the first physical I went to and, and, and went with four referral slips instead of, hey, you're doing great, kid. <laughs> <laughs> All the wheels started coming off the cart. <laughs> That's exactly right. Well, I, you know, I can't stress this to the listeners enough. I mean, you know, we're, you guys were talking about, you know, everything being in-house. There's a lot of offices that are doing that, but it doesn't mean that the dentistry that's being done is done well, you know? So, I mean, but the, what you guys are doing is exceptional dentistry. So, you know, you've in, like you were saying, John, you, you guys recognize your limits, you know, when you have to refer out, cause you do a lot of your own ortho. I mean, you do an amazing job of Invisalign, but you know when to refer out. Uh, now to close this uh, podcast, what, you know, people are listening, you know, they're obviously very fascinated with this interdisciplinary approach. What would you guys recommend any tips on creating a strong interdisciplinary team? I know you already alluded to it, but if you guys can just summarize what you would recommend for dentists who are listening. I, uh, you know, I like what John shared earlier. So I'm going to kind of add something from a little different perspective. If, if you're listening, I'm guessing you, you may be thinking that, am I really going to have the time? for all of this, you know, and time becomes a, an obstacle that stands in the way. And I guess what I'd just like to leave you with is a little encouragement that, you know, the time you put into this on the front end and building these relationships, one is going to come back tenfold just on the patient experience side and even on the growth of your practice. So as a GP, we get um, at least a dozen referrals directly from our little inter disciplinary group every month. And it's because of the time we invest in them. So this is referrals are a two way street. Uh, if I, I would, I wouldn't work with a specialist who didn't feel I was their go-to dentist and didn't reciprocate. Um, and I, and I don't think any of you should either. Uh, so long as you're delivering the dentistry at the, the highest level that you can, but you're, you're, you're probably going to think you don't have time. I'm not going to tell you it's going to be easy. I will tell you that your time investment will be worth it. So do your best to make the time to do the things that John mentioned earlier. And, and I'm looking forward to what you're going to wrap up with, John. Yeah, I agree with David. I, I think that, you know, when I look back, I, I guess when I went into this, um, I was really just hungry to learn what they knew. And I wanted to have relationships with these, some of the best specialists. But I will tell you what happened uh, is there just isn't any question. Most of my best cases came from those guys. And, and so, you know, what I learned is specialists, particularly orthodontists, well, the surgeons too that are placing in implants, there's nothing worse for them to work on a case where they set the whole thing up and then they see the final restorative work and it's terrible. You know, the, it doesn't look good and the patient's complaining. So they want a restorative person that can execute at a high level. They want to be able to have that go-to person. So I totally agree with David that the time is critical. I mean, the time seems like a lot, but it's actually incredibly fun and, and it does come back tenfold. I mean, it, it's probably the single most important thing I did to position myself as the go-to dentist in our community is, is those relationships with those specialists. What I would tell you to do is, um, as you go through this, is is kind of what Pio said is first thing is commit to a philosophy. You have to get a philosophical approach of how you're going to do things. And then, then you have to work to align yourself with people that think like you. And, 
you know, the thing that's hard is that sometimes your best friends aren't going to be those people. And, and you just have to understand that that's part of it. And then the other thing that I think Pio said is that just because it's being done in house doesn't mean, mean that it even meets the standard of care. But set your bar, set your standard of care higher than the standard of care, right? We want to be beyond usual and customary. And if you can be the keeper of that standard and you can be getting together and not only looking at cases, but also evaluating cases that you're completing and being honest with how good they are, right? You know, how, how well did we execute? That everybody just gets better. And the last person that we didn't talk about that I think is important part of the team that's not there every time, but he's there sometimes is the lab person because the lab yes. person likes to be able to, to be involved with this as well. Yeah. But anyway, I, I think that, uh, that that would be good. So PO, why don't you wind up here and we will, uh, David, you want to just make one more comment, right? Okay. And then yeah, I just want to piggyback on one thing that you know John brought up earlier in in how fun this can be. So one tip that I, I forgot to mention, I don't know how I forgot, is get everybody's teams involved with each other with yeah. fun. So I don't know about you guys, but um, when my team is happy, uh, probably I'm a lot happier. So by getting all of our teams engaged with one another, they know each other personally, then it's never an annoyance when we pick up the phone and say, hey, you know, oral surgeon, hey, endo, hey, par it's just, hey, Sue, hey, Joe, hey, Tim. So we, you know, we run um, just two events a year, really simple. We do like a happy hour or a social. And Jeez, I'm going to steal that one. I haven't been doing it. <laughs> That's a great I'm idea. You, we, you know, one's an adult only and the other one is um, whole family. Because oh, we, wow. you know, everybody kind of has a different lifestyle, so we want everyone to feel welcome and engaged. And um, it's really, it's, it's not as hard as you think. Not everybody can make it, of course, but everybody's welcome. And I think that's no, it's, it's so smart because so many times you can get, like I've worked with one particular, I'm not going to say which one of our specialists, but my front desk had a problem with the other front desk, you know, and they're just, they're always sniping back and forth. It just creates all the stress. And so that kind of event tends to make those things go away. So that's a great idea, David. You guys, this was incredible. I'm going to have to go back and listen to this podcast to, you know, get all, break down all these tips on building my team because your teams are amazing. Uh, this has been so much fun, guys. This is an amazing podcast. Uh, thank you for all this information. I'm having a blast doing this with you guys. And uh, thank you to all the listeners for tuning in. And we'll see you next time on the Go To Dentist podcast. Thank you. Thanks, guys.